Michelle. I'm good. I'm Alice. And welcome oh, to the 12th oh, Welcome to the 12th yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone. Everyone. Welcome all everyone. beings. Yes, all <laughs> beings. Whatever you may be. Welcome hotties. Hotties baddies. <laughs> we have a good episode for you today. We have none other than the iconic Lauren Haynes from Wooden Spoon Herbs on to talk about raising money. Being a badass. Herbs. Branding. Growing a team. Being friends with your team. Yes. She's so smart. So cool. I love Lauren. We've known each other for a long time now. We've become homies. And it's been amazing to watch Wooden Spoon Herbs grow from this thing that she literally built with like $200. Can I tell you a story of when we met? Yes. We met at Mercado Sagrado. Do you remember? Oh my gosh. I think I went once. Yeah. It was in like Panka Canyon. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I did go once. It was this event that our friends at Conscious City Guide put on pre-pandemic every summerish. Really? Mercado Sagrado is a brand and yeah. Conscious City Guide is a brand and they came together oh, okay. with Mercado Sagrado. Oh, cool. And obviously it's sacred market is what that means. Ethan and I, when sometimes something is very, you know, we say, oh my God, so Sagrado. <laughs> <laughs> it was this That's cool funny. market. I mean, like, you know. So Sagrado, but a cool market where you could find all these different wares and, you know, shit wellness girls. Hey, I went. Shit wellness girls like. (laughs) Yeah. We went too, obviously. And I met Lauren in the parking lot there and she was like, oh my God, you're Michelle. I was like, hi, I am. She was like, I'm Lauren Haynes. I'm from Wooden Spoon Herbs. I was like, you're a celebrity. Like, (laughs) how do you know mine? Are we about to kiss? It was great. And she just was like so bright and happy and cool and, you know, like, She's just down and we became fast friends after that. And it's been amazing watching her like from selling, you know, Mercado Sagrado at like a little booth to she's raised lots of money from investors, from venture capital investors. And I'm just she's going omni channel. We talk about it. Yeah. I'm just so proud of like her as a friend, like to have her as a friend because she's just so open and down to learn. And she really cares about like what she does and she's not in it for the money or oh, she's so fame. passionate. You can, she's one of those founders where you can see the passion oozing out of her. Yeah, it's totally. so genuine. But this episode's just so good. If you have thought about building a brand from bootstrapping it to maybe eventually raising money, if you're thinking about raising money now, I think you should listen to it. Oftentimes people start a brand and they, they want to start with capital. So they want to mm-hmm. like go out and raise money immediately. And you think maybe, well, if I bootstrap, then I won't be able to raise money in the future. And that's not true. Lauren's a good example of she bootstrapped for five, six years, and then she decided to raise money. Like it's totally possible if that's something you want to do. And if you're like down to learn and down to put yourself out there. I think this episode is inspiring. It's so inspiring. And she shares a lot. It's really cool how lucky we've been with all of our guests being so open to be vulnerable and candid with the crazy questions we asked them. <laughs> I was like, by the way, here's some questions we might ask you. You don't have to answer them if you don't want to. Yeah. And she wrote me an email. She was like, you guys are nuts. I love it. <laughs> True. You're not wrong. Nope. Yeah. You're really going to love Lauren. You're going to fall in love with her. Oh my gosh. And there's exciting things because they're launching their new branding, new products, all the stuff. I'm going to buy everything. Oh yeah, of course. I can't wait to OD on adaptogens as soon as this baby's out of my body. Oh, and the swag? Are you kidding? (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. We got to help pick the swag. I can't wait to see what she chooses. (laughs) After we stopped recording, she was like, okay guys, what color should I pick for this? And we went with... We had strong opinions. I stand by what we said. Oh, a hundred percent. 
I'm on trend TikTok. <laughs> I know what's cool. I know what's trending. <laughs> yeah. So look out for that. We will post all of those links in the show notes, of course. And without further ado, here's Lauren. Hey, guys. Hi. Hi. <laughs> welcome. Thank welcome. you. I feel welcome. I'm so excited to have you. You are truly what a get. What a an, uh, true honor to have you on the podcast because you are a badass. You are an herbalist. You are hilarious. You are cool. You are pretty. You are smart. <laughs> and we love you. <laughs> you guys, I can't take it. Thank you so much. That's so, super sweet. <laughs> and you're also the founder and CEO and business runner of Wooden Spoon Herbs. True icon in the building. Honestly, slay. I remember yeah. when I first discovered Wooden Spoon Herbs at a little boutique when I moved to LA and seeing the packaging and trying. It was the rose cocoa. And I was like, this person is a genius. Not only the branding and the packaging, but a lot of herbal tinctures and combinations don't always hit for me or aren't the right combination, flavor, profile, smell, scent, you know, all those things. So I was immediately a fan. Thanks yeah. so much. That means a lot. Same. I'm not usually a tincture girly, but rose-colored glasses can't live without it Thanks, can't guys. function without it Same. some quick yeah. wits i take before i really need to have some quick wits and <gasps> me too I tell you as someone who has been unmedicated for adhd for quite a while now it has really come in handy we're just here to help make things taste good make you like herbs you know that is why i was put on this earth you're doing a great job well we have so many questions about the biz and we will get into it but we love to start with a transparency question, and you get to choose which one you want to answer. You could answer both if you want, or none. You or know. none. Yeah, <laughs> Whatever you want. And the questions you can choose from for our icebreaker is, how many friends do you have, or how much money do you make? <laughs> These questions are insane, first of all, and I really appreciate that. Let's let's just open the books. I open the curtain. I how many friends do I have? You know? Like roughly like five tier one. We've got like ten tier two. And then wow. we love everyone. Like we have so many people we love. So it's that's that. How much do I make? That is a hilarious question because I am self-employed. <laughs> Right. It's kind of like a no, there's a no answer really that you can give when you're self-employed. This has been the answer for two years running now. So, so what I try to make is 50,000, which is modest, right? So what I try to make is 50,000 and then inevitably every year some unforeseen crisis arises and I have to, I have to like allocate, reallocate 10,000 of that elsewhere. So that's kind of where I am today. Next year, 2023, where we have a bright sky ahead. So we will see aiming for 70,000, right? Love this. Get it. Snaps. I was just going to say like one of the weirdest things about running a business is that you have this like fake money because you own a business and you have like a fake net worth where you're like, well, technically I own equity in this. Your business is like doing phenomenally well, Lauren. So you're like, yeah, I on on like to a bank or whoever, an investor, I look like I'm like doing so, so well. And I am. But like cash wise, not necessarily the case. No, I mean, because you make a salary from your business. You don't get to like claim your business. And I, but I actually haven't thought of that as like, I do own the equity in, in my business. So, hey, you don't think hey, about that? I literally just now today years old. 
<laughs> and Lauren, you're like very, very intimately familiar with this now when it comes to like venture capital <laughs> and people valuing, giving your business sometimes an arbitrary valuation mm-hmm. or a valuation that shifts so much over a period of years, depending on where the market is and how desirable your product or your area of expertise is. You can go from being like, wow, I can be a hundred millionaire to actually no. <laughs> None of that was real and the business failed and yeah, I don't have anything and I got to start over. Yep. <laughs> not, not calling that in for you no, at no, all. No, of course, of course. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think going through the process of raising capital has made me keenly aware of how much, I mean, smoke and mirrors isn't, is a little bit too like derogatory of a phrase, but I think how narrative based capital raising is. And I think that like something else that I've really, especially this year, 2022 have experienced for the first time is how is the trend cycle of capital and what people quote unquote value each year changes so drastically and we can get into it, but those are my initial takes. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Yeah. What, what have you seen? Mm -hmm. Also, I would love to know what tipped you over the edge of, okay, it's time. I'm going to do it. What was that process like? How did you navigate that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm already getting my vulnerability hangover. And I think it's really important to be transparent because there is no way to learn this except by doing and by sharing your story and by hearing other people's experiences. And it's, it's so different. Like I said, year to year in business to business that it's totally fine. In 2020, there was just so much there was money available for the first time to small businesses. And so I was lucky to be a recipient of the PPP loan and then an SBA loan. And so I really saw for the first time, because I had bootstrapped the business, I started Wooden Spoon Herbs with $200, which at the time was the most money I'd ever spent on, like literally anything. Like I just didn't come for money and I was scared to spend it, but buying supplies and then generating return, I was like, okay, this this is how this works. And so I think once I had... A meaningful amount of cash, even through an SBA loan or the PPP support, which I couldn't have like kept my team. I had one full-time employee and one part-time employee. I couldn't have kept them on without that. Anyway, receiving that capital and, and showing myself essentially how possible it is to turn, to invest that and like see those returns. And so my business grew exponentially in 2021 from those investments and just having capital spent on marketing for the first time ever. Right. And so we were, we were six years old almost at that time. So we'd come a long way with just organic profitability, bootstrapping, all of those things, organic marketing. I want to also just double click for anyone who's not aware of what CPG, that's a consumer packaged good business. And what often, and Lauren, you can speak to this way better than I could, but often what happens when you bootstrap a business that has a physical product is you are waiting for profitability or for revenue to come in from product that you've sold, which means that you're sort of you have a limitation on how you can scale and how quickly because you can't reinvest enough money quickly enough to get more product so you can sell to more people and you can actually market. So you kind of get stuck in this cycle of like, we want to grow and we're doing really well, but we don't have enough actual cash in the bank to be able to grow this thing. Is that kind of where you guys were? Absolutely. And so every time we would scale our production, we would meet demand immediately. Every time we would scale immediately, you know, so it was kind of this, like one of those good problems to have, but it's still just like, Mm -hmm. how do we navigate this and how there's so much growth potential? How do we like make this real? And I think even today, that's still where we are is like stock outs of bestsellers because we can't, 
we can't even like scale quickly enough. So that that's really what it was. And seeing the marketing investments, you know, have these like beautiful returns. Obviously, it's a very different landscape for digital marketing than it was even in 2020. But that was really mm-hmm. so all of that combined with the enormous explosion and influx of wellness brands, right? So just seeing a new brand every day doing a new thing. And so my background and like passion and our ethos as a company are to espouse like traditional herbalism that's very gentle and very real and very down to earth and grounded and like connect people with herbalism in their everyday life. And so to me, it was just so stressful to see all these brands create a very noisy environment. And I wanted to ensure that this business I had been creating from my heart for, you know, now nearly eight years continues to be an industry leader. And so that takes, you know, okay, like, great. How are we going to fund this business to play ball with these people who are starting with $3 million in capital? Yeah, because businesses were coming in, raising a ton of money because wellness is really hot right now for VCs. Femtech or femhealth is really hot right now for VCs. And yeah, consumer packaged goods, like, Think about how many beverages. We I mean we do a beverage every week on Good For You. There's a new drink every fucking week that's not soda that's like quote unquote healthy or has adaptogens in it. It's insane. I'm also curious when you were spending more on marketing, what do you feel you saw the biggest return on for spend versus today? Because you're right. It's such a different landscape. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. I think something that I've also learned from, you know, following your work, Michelle, for so many years is that newsletter list building. So newsletter and SMS have always been the biggest and continue to be the biggest returns for us. And we put a lot of energy into that. And so focusing on top of funnel growth, focusing on flows, focusing on retention, our, our email list right now has a 66% open rate for our weekly sins, which is bonkers. That is so good for a commerce company. Hello. Thank you. Like usually it's like around 10%. That's incredible. So good. 66%. And that is a testament to the quality of my team and the content they are producing and the ethos of the brand, I think. So that is where that's the biggest return. And right now we're focusing on SEO strategy and organic content marketing. And so that has also been really huge for us. We've been able to nearly eradicate our Facebook spend in favor of blog content that is SEO based and compelling and people want to read it. And we have a 90% conversion rate from article to article. So people are staying on site and like reading multiple articles. And so that's really something we're working on scaling. We hired a director of editorial who's worked in food media for 15 years, who is brilliant. Her name's Christine Buckley. She wrote a book called Plant Magic, Herbalism in Real Life that came out in the past four or five years. So she is, I think we are just kindred spirits as far as herbalism is concerned and other things, but she's doing a fantastic job. Incredible. Yeah, those are like amazing stats for anyone who's listening. Really good. But going back to you, so you had this influx of capital from PPP and the SBA loans, and you were like, well, shit. No, I had some money. Exactly. I was (laughs) like, do something. It it really clicked. I was like, oh, this is what people are doing. This is what people are doing. Like, I've been learning on the job, and it was a huge learning moment for me. What did you feel like was one of the biggest professional or kind of personal hurdles you had to overcome in that decision to take on that capital and how you were going to spend it? Did you have a lot of advising on that? It's kind of like a two-part question. 
I definitely had a lot. I think I got in touch with everyone I knew who would raise capital, who had a business that I was, you know, inspired by, who I sort of tangentially knew. And people are so generous with their time. I had a business advisor that I was working with as well named Holly Howard, who I'm a huge fan of. She does group group programs now and worked with someone to help me build out, you know, projections, the deck, like what that all looked like. So I definitely gathered a lot of supporters to make sure I knew what I was doing and to kind of put me through the, you know, trial by fire, devil's advocate testing phase. I will say this because this is really how I felt the whole time. I've never had to believe in anything harder in my life than myself and my business during this process. And that brought up so much vulnerability for me. I remember coming to LA to meet some investors and just like meeting a friend after and sobbing and being like, this is the most intense vulnerable process because you, for me, and it's not like this for every company, there are people who, who just build companies and that's like what they do. But for me, like being my baby, it was just, it was really really emotional. And so there's a lot to, a lot to work through. And and I also had to get comfortable with like bigger numbers, which I think is common for anyone at any stage of their business. It's just that comfortability with like, it's the same idea. It's just the stakes get higher. Mm-hmm. You and I talked a lot about whether you wanted to raise money or not, but I think like one thing that you were you were really grappling with like, is this even in alignment with like my personal philosophy and values? Like, how do I navigate? And I remember really relating to something that you said about like, how do I navigate this space without losing myself in like the sort of like conversation and myth mythology of venture capital and the types of founders that raise venture capital when I don't like, I'm not like a straight up capitalist, you know, like it doesn't necessarily completely intersect with how I see the world. What was that like for you? Because obviously you, you raised money, you were successful at it. Most people aren't, you have really great investors. I know some of your investors and like your business is crushing it. So you seem good. You seem like you made it out of the fire, (laughs) like relatively unscathed. Like, how did you do that? Yeah, we did. We are we're in a really great place. And I will say, Michelle, you gave me a piece of advice that helped me probably most of all. And oh. you did, you really did. And I, you told me that there is a ton of money in the world and it can come from anywhere. And so the best thing I can do is focus on who I want to be on my team. Right. So like who you, you asked me, you said, what, who do you want? Like, what kind of people do you want to be your investors? And so I thought it through and I was like, well, I think it would be really beneficial and cool. Obviously we want to diversify, but it'd be really cool if I had people who have experience growing and building brands in the health food space. And I think once I set that intention of like, no, that is really what I want and started telling people that's what I was looking for. That's what I filled up my cap table with and continue to fill that cap table with. And so I think not focusing on the cash because you you are right. That can come from anywhere. That can come from debt financing. That can come from friends and family. You know, it can just come from so many places, so many people. Mm-hmm. And instead focused on who I want to build out this team. I think of them as like the superheroes on the superhero team. They all have different expertises and lived experiences and they're all so valuable to me and to the support that I feel in my business. So that really, really helped me. And that is the way that I built my investment team out. Yeah. So often when you're raising money, you feel like you're like begging people to believe in you. Right. And like you're begging, you're trying to convince them to see the value in you and really like people say this all the time to you when you're raising, like you're the one who holds the power. You are the valuable one. <laughs> like You're the one with the really kick-ass business that people would be lucky to be part of. And 
it it kind of like I don't know helps reinvigorate your own confidence of like yeah I actually get to choose too it's not about being like the last person picked at the school dance or the last person picked to be on the, the PE team no like I get to mutually consent to whether I want these people in my business and in my life really because it is a relationship it's like marriage you're signing a contract just like you would when you get married to somebody and it's hard to untether from that like it's hard it can be expensive mm-hmm. if you decide that you want to get business divorced you know and if they don't have that natural organic support for you and really understand your vision then you're gonna feel that and you're going to have to live with that for a long time. I think that's, so we have one VC investor that, that led the round our seed round and he, you know, and so I think the thing with venture capital is that you can sometimes feel all this pressure because you're expected to grow so quickly, but just having someone who understands the process of like, well, here's how we're investing and here's the lead time on return. And here's what this looks like. And just, yeah, I mean, having someone who doubles as a hype man, I honestly couldn't be more grateful. And it is, it's just critical to have the right people. Are some of the investors, people who have been operational before? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mostly. Yeah. That's something you hear a lot when people haven't been operational. The dynamic that can ensue where it's like the exponential growth rate that's expected is so outsized compared to if you've actually run that type of business. I also think that like this year, no one cares about exponential growth this year. People are valuing omni-channel and profitability, which is where Wooden Spoon is so strong and has been so strong for most of its life. So it was really challenging, I think, to raise with the expectation of exponential growth, but with the expectation of profitability and like thoughtful expansion, thoughtful growth, you know, we're in a really good place. And that just goes back to, you have to stay true to your vision and your values because the investing world is so fickle and it's so, uh, follow the leader isn't the right, but it, it's just so trend-based. Yeah, it's so trendy. Mm-hmm. I think in a somewhat uncharitable way towards many investors, like VC investors, that they they remind me of the archetype of like, you know, the cool kid in high school, how he or she always had like one hanger on who kind of just was like sniffing out the coolest person and always like would jump on the latest trend that they were doing, but isn't necessarily good at following trend, like finding trends themselves. They just find the cool people and follow what the cool people do. I feel like so often that's like... <laughs> Who Michelle, these are. <laughs> I am grateful for follow on investors and for that whole thing, because I think I think I'm a really like opinionated, passionate person. So I can convince mm-hmm. you like why this business and industry will be important and, and is, you know, immune to a lot of the ups and downs of, you know, many industries. So, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I know it, it's there's all kinds of people out there, but we found some really great partners. <laughs> can you also talk about the omnichannel strategy for people who might not know what that is? Yeah, totally. So omni-channel just means you sell direct-to-consumer through your e-commerce website and that you also sell through other channels like indie distribution. So you sell to boutiques and you sell to cafes, but you also might sell to natural grocery as a channel, which could be like the co-op network or Whole Foods or Sprouts, that kind of thing. So that's something that we are really excited to roll out in 2023 is placement in natural grocers around the country and launching in Whole Foods Southeast. So that's amazing. Where my, thank you. Thank you. Where my focus has been, especially just, I think, I think you see a lot of like DC brands going omni-channel now and having these retail expansions, mm-hmm. which is really exciting. And I think distribution is accessibility and like, I really love it. Mm-hmm. It's really fun to see your favorite brands on the shelves, wherever you shop. So part of it is wanting to meet people where they are, but part of it is also 
seeing the struggle of small businesses everywhere. Like we had built our omni-channel strategy solely to focus on indie retailers and, and having mm. that kind of part of our business fall away or like struggle through the past two years has been a huge wake up call that we need to diversify. So mm -hmm. how do you know when you're on track for your, like what we call sacred work, like what you're here on this planet to do when you're in alignment versus when you're not, because you've been through like the last three years have been extremely chaotic. And for everyone, especially business owners, especially CPG business owners, especially like women in, in the United States or non-binary people in the United States, there's like a lot happening. How do you know when you're on track versus when you've fallen off? Like, what's the sign to you that like, ooh, I need to get back into alignment? I think how in the flow I feel and how present I can be with every task and how much fun I can have with every task, even if it's not fun, just kind of like focusing and working out the pieces. I don't know if that's a good answer. I think like the true answer sometimes is like the reintroduction of like angel numbers and that kind of thing. I don't know. That's a good question. I actually don't feel like I've been off the path since I started this company. Love that. You're in if I may be so bold. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> She's like, no, I'm dialed. I'm fucking dialed. I feel dialed. good. I feel really good. Like, I honestly love what I do. And like, it feels like it's, it just keeps getting better. Yeah. We love to hear that. <laughs> Truly. 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 Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Here, here's maybe a question for past self. What was the time where you thought you were in flow or you were like, I'm so healthy, whatever that means to you in a certain area of your life, but you reflect back and you're like, actually, I was super toxic now that I think about it. Yeah, I had an experience recently that felt like that. I had gone on the first two week vacation of my life over the summer. I was still working. It was a working vacation. Thank you. It was just less work. You don't have to preface that. You can have a real vacation. I did not, though. You should. I did yeah. not, though. <laughs> you should. I will. Someday. I will. And so it was good. And so when I came back, I kind of went into overdrive where I was like, okay, back in the saddle, like need to like tighten up ship. I need to like make sure everyone's doing everything, even though of course they were, they held it down while I was gone, you know? Like, so I just came back like guns blazing, being like, awesome, let's get this all together. And then <laughs> two people who are like senior managers had to take me aside and be like, dude, you're being a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, thought was really funny. I thought I was being like assertive and strong and direct and efficient. And they were like, dude, what are you doing? So that was really funny to me. And, and you know, it, it was a very humbling moment, but I learned a lot. So <laughs> they're like, we get that you're back yeah. from vacay, but yeah, <laughs> totally. They're like, we are on it. <laughs> I have totally been there before where I like in a fit of something like the devil takes over my body and I'm just like checking up on projects that we, you know, we dropped the ball in six months ago and I'm like where is this thing where are these templates what's going on here and everyone's like calm down yeah <laughs> chill yeah like everything's logical and marching along so you know we learn every day on the job it's oh, true yes. you've grown your team significantly over the past year in particular is that easy for you like do you feel like you're a natural manager or how do you do that no <laughs> how, I, how have you been doing it I don't feel like I'm a natural manager. I feel like I'm a very awkward manager. And I feel like I'm never sure. It's like, am I like, what is the line? Am I making them feel welcome? Or am I trying to be their friend? Like, I don't know. Like, I love everyone on my team as people. I would be honored to be their friends. But like, 
yeah, it's definitely not natural to me. And I'm definitely in the beginning stages of learning how to navigate that. And for me, what I, what I am learning is that it takes a lot of focus and presence. And so I think the less I can, this is a genuinely very recent learning, but the less I try to like be involved in everyone else's work, the better I can be at my job, which is truly to like make sure everyone feels good in what they're doing to focus on like the business ops logistics side of things. And so staying in my lane is one way of learning how to be a good manager. Mm. I feel like the idea of people being naturally good managers is like pretty rare. I think it's a really tough position and every work context changes depending on the type of business you're running or team you're working with. And that balance of, I want to be this person's friend because you want to like the people that you work with because you work with them so much. But then you're towing this line of what is the line? It's hard for me. Like I, I, I try to take cues from the team of like what is appropriate. <laughs> how, yeah. friendly, how friendly they want, how much they want to hang out with me. But like, yeah, you, you want to like make sure that you're creating a safe space and environment for people to do their job and to feel supported in their job and be able to speak freely too. And mm -hmm. sometimes like when you have more of a familial relationship, which happens so often in businesses and businesses are like, we're a family. No, you're not, you're not a family. Yeah. Business. And families are sometimes really fucked up also. Yeah. There's, there's so much that goes into it. So if you have any book recommendations, I'm all ears. <laughs> I find that most management books are like pretty corporate and they don't really align with how I feel around how I want to like, first of all, off who I want to work with and how I want to work mm -hmm. and like the business I'm trying to build. So totally. I don't know. I'll keep you posted. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, do you have any good recs? Because you're you're a great manager. I do have one actually that I read a long time ago that was very influential to me. And I remember the title, but I don't remember the authors called Shakti Leadership. Hmm. I'll send it to you, but it's a non-Western corporate take on the philosophies of leadership in general. Cool. But speaking of books, we'd love to know what is canon for Lauren Haynes at this time in your life? Oh boy. Oh my gosh. It doesn't have to be a new book. It could be Winnie the Pooh. It could be whatever you want. <laughs> I've been spending a lot of time with cookbooks lately, just like moving into fall. It's like, I think it's the way that I can ground myself and not panic about the change of season. So I've been reading At Home in the Whole Food Kitchen by Amy Chaplin and just like That's spending. such a good one. It's my favorite. It's so so good. That is a Bible. What else? I've been spending time with this book called The Herbalist. That's just a compendium of vintage herbals. I'm working through Who is Wellness For? I'm almost finished with Who is Wellness For? Oh, do you like it? Yeah, it's really important. It's really great. It's not an easy read, but it's something mm. that I'm happy to take my time with. And I think I've learned a lot from it. We got to add to cart. I yeah, read it. Add to cart. Who is Wellness for? By Fariha Royzen. I'm probably butchering her name. I apologize. Mm -hmm. It's really great though, and yeah, reading a lot about like probiotics and the microbiome and the extracellular matrix and your organ biomes and all that kind of nerd stuff, which I adore. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've been reading this year. Love it. And what are your tools that keep you on track? Like they can be apps. They can be a face massager. They can be notion. What like helps you survive? Mm. At work, the tech stack, right? So Slack and Asana, we love, we love. Like lots of herbal tea all the time, just making sure I'm getting like nutrients mm. that way. 
magnesium every day. Of course, I'm going to have supplement answers. So like nettle tea or even just like nice herbal teas. I've been drinking one from Mountain Rose that's like blackberry leaf with uh, lemon peel and then like blackberry, dried blackberries. It's really good. Yummy. So I do a lot of that. I do a lot of cooking, like nourishing foods keep me alive. Like bad TV keeps me alive. What TV? Yeah. What bad TV? Well, right now I'm just watching Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones. The new yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. The new one. The new one. House of the Dragon. Yeah. House of the Dragon. Thank you. And Rings of Power. <laughs> Those have been dope. Those are not bad TV. Those are good TV. Bad TV is Love Island, but I'm caught up on every single episode of Love Island that has ever existed. So I'm in a deficit there. Okay, yeah. what is your what is your biggest takeaway from being like a Love Island stan? My biggest takeaway is all of the British slang that has now integrated <laughs> itself into my vocabulary. I think it's an OG like reality show. I think it's really good. I think a lot of people have tried to copy it in ways that have fallen short. I think it's one of those things where when if you watch it chronologically, you see like the insane first season reality, raunchy, like crazy, like literally the first two seasons, they just chain smoke all day. And then... <laughs> you know, do naughty things all night. It's just like, in, it's just so crazy to watch. So big fan. I think the biggest takeaway is that people really do find love on that show and like go on to get married and have Aww. kids. And it's really sweet. I'm a huge reality TV stan. I will defend reality TV until the cows come home. I think it's important for the culture. Yeah. It's important for like anthropological purposes. I mean, it informed the way we use the internet. And I think now we're going we're gonna to see the return of like how the internet and that culture will inform what TV and reality TV look like. Mm -hmm. We could make anything academic, including Love Island. <laughs> oh, for sure. Oh, totally. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> okay, last question. What would you whisper to your past self if you could go at any point in time and, you know, sidle up to her ear? What would you say? Trust the process. And I think that's something that I have a hard time doing. And like, you know, we have gone through the past year with the business through like a rebranding process, which has been just transformational on so many levels. And and throughout it, there was so much like trust the process, trust the, and I just fought it so hard. And then here at the end, it's like, wow, we really did everything we set out to do. But I think to my former self, I'd say the same thing. It's just trust the process because you're going to end up somewhere that's like exactly what you always wanted, you know? There is a rebrand coming out, right? Is that something that we can look forward to? Yeah. So by the time anyone hears this and you go to woodenspoonherbs.com, you will see the brand new, we're calling it the Spooniverse, the brand new Spooniverse oh, that we that. live in. And oh, I love it. it's just, it's everything herbalism. It's, it, you can learn so much about herbalism. We have like little cards that define herbal terms on the site. So like, what does bioavailable mean? What is, what is an adaptogen? What is a nervine? So we really want to bring in that education piece and help people understand because what it is, but also how to use it. Cause you can have a fridge full of adaptogenic functional beverages, but to me, we've not done our job. If you don't also understand like why you're using that and like what it's mm -hmm. for and like how it relates to you and your life. And, and it's hard as a CPG brand. Cause you're, you're, you know, reaching so many people or you're, you're talking to so many people who are individuals. So yeah, we're really excited and I'm obsessed with the packaging and just all of it. So I can't wait for everyone to see it. Oh, congratulations. That is huge. That's a labor of love and it's expensive whenever brands have to do that. Like, <laughs> so seriously. for all the listeners out there, go stock up in wooden spoon 
Lauren, what's your favorite product on, on deck right now? Firesider is my favorite right now. I've been sipping it every morning because I've been following the glucose goddess. If you guys follow her, she talks oh, about what is this? Like, like blood sugar regulation is so fundamental to chronic illness, inflammation, all anxiety, of these anxiety. <laughs> absolutely. All of these pieces that seem, you know, it's one of the root, root issues for a lot of that if not all of it. So she has these gorgeous graphs that show like what happens if you drink vinegar before you eat a piece of white bread or a piece of cake or like all of these things. So I've been sipping fire cider before I have like granola or anything in the morning. And it's a really good Do you feel do the difference in your body? A hundred percent. My mental health has been wow. so leveled out and focusing Whoa. on protein as like when I go to make a meal, like focusing on protein throughout the yes. day, I have never felt more energetic and like energized. So I've just, those are the two things I've really been paying attention to is like blood sugar balance and then protein to like feel alive, <laughs> to feel like okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Life is hard. And it's, it's really, I, I'm not like a, you know, life hack, biohack person, but those are two little, little things to focus on. Love that. Are we going back to apple cider vinegar shots? Is mm -hmm. that what's happening? Yes. It can <laughs> be any kind back. of, any vinegar. Ooh, I can't wait to take a dip in the Spooniverse. Yes. I look forward to it. Well, thanks so much for having me, guys. Thank you for coming on. This has been truly an honor to have you here. A blessing. I feel the same. <laughs> the Twelfth House is produced by yours truly, Wallace Miller Blanchard. Our theme music is made by Nathan McKay, and our wonderful editing is done by Softer Sound Studios, who you can find more information about in our show notes.